Hi, my name is John Kim, and I'm a therapist who went through his own rebirth. I share my feelings and revelations. I believe in casual or clinical and with you instead of at you. I come unrehearsed on purpose because self-help doesn't have to be so complicated. So I started running live Zoom groups during COVID as a way to help people get out of their heads and process some stuff, but also to build a community where we could champion each other's stories. It's called the TAT Lab, and that has grown into a thriving community now where we have life coaches and therapists all running multiple classes a day, everything from codependency to relationships. I run a giant check-in once a week. I'm also doing a group couples class, everything from trauma to chakras, and, and it's constantly changing. And one of the reasons why it's called the lab is because uh, we are playing in our sandbox. And something that I'm super passionate about is helping people in a casual way. So it's more casual over clinical. Um, we have a great time and we have an amazing community. And also it's extremely affordable. So check us out. There's no better time to grow than right now. Go to my Instagram at The Angry Therapist and click on my bio link. And we will see you in group. She made the transition from corporate to wellness after years of doing her own inner work. While always feeling like she was teetering on the edge of burnout, she is a yogi and a licensed therapist who brings her passion for mindfulness, depth, Buddhist, and yoga psychology into her own life, as well as in her work with her clients. And let me also add uh, in her relationships as well. Uh, she is a New Yorker at heart and a Californian by soul. She loves connecting with people while helping them connect to themselves, which usually includes helping them discover who that self really is. She is also uh, my girlfriend, Vanessa Bennett. Are Your you there? baby mama. Don't forget that. Oh, my baby mama as well. <laughs> I guess my first question is, um, are you still attracted to me? Sometimes. Were you ever? Very. Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> we need to have a conversation after this. Um, so... Your whole thing is codependency. I mean, you do more in codependency, but that's kind of become um, the topic that you've been really passionate about. Of late, yeah. I mean, I, I, I found my way into it from my own work around codependency. And, and to your point, I, I, I think I have obviously other interests and passions, but that is kind of the flag that I'm waving currently. So tell us your story with codependency. And I want to start with this question. What is codependency? So there's a lot of different definitions of codependency. Uh, it's one of those terms that gets thrown around a lot in our kind of modern wellness world where everybody likes to throw around kind of psychology vernacular. Um, but the, the simplest way of all of the jargon that you'll see out there, the simplest way to describe it is really, if you're good, I'm good. If you're not good, I'm not good. So basically it's basing your emotional self on somebody else's emotional self. Right, so how does um, it... How did it impact your life? Meaning, what was your relationship, your struggle with codependency um, growing up? Well, I, I didn't even know I had a struggle with it, nor did I even know what it was uh, until I went to therapy for the first time at 25. Um, and I, I was just not happy in my life. I was in New York. I was doing the grind. Uh, and I was just kind of angry and resentful and always felt like I was ready to just throw my hands up and say, fuck it all. Um and started realizing that the relationship that I was in at the time was very codependent um, and that my upbringing as a child really primed me for the codependent behaviors that I was struggling with. Um, and it took that therapy work, uh, working with that therapist for about two years for me to really wrap my head around it, understand it. I went to Al-Anon as well um, to not understand myself, not only understand myself, but also understand how it impacted me showing up in all of my relationships. Do you think there's a relationship between um, codependence and addiction, addicts? 
Yes, a thousand percent. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I always say that the, when I teach classes around codependency, I always say the kind of old guard, if you will, of the codependency world and research is really very like addict codependent. Um, and that's kind of the box in the house that it stays within. I do believe in the last probably 10 plus years, uh, the, the research has shown uh, that codependency, you don't have to be in relationship to an addict to be codependent. You don't have to have been raised by an addict to be codependent. Um, I would say the vast majority of people that I've worked with always have some sort of codependent behavior that they struggle with. Um, but you can't get away from the obvious connection between addiction and codependency. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I have a, um, addiction in my blood. Um, you know, many times in my life, I thought I was an addict. So uh, it's never uh, ruined my life, but I definitely have addictive uh, tendencies. And I think that in my life, um, I've tra- attracted many codependents. It, it's almost like there's this uh, strange, energetic, instinctual uh, draw between the addict and the codependent. And I think it's partly because the addict, they say, when you start using, um, you, 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 your growth is stunted, right? So it's almost mm-hmm. like, um, and also me being the youngest, I've always been kind of enabled. I've been um, a late bloomer for sure. So um, people have always taken care of me. And mm-hmm. so I, I think I put that energy out there. And then um, women who are codependent find value in taking care of someone. So um, me being taken care of, uh, has always been, um, I mean, what I call the sticky. It's been uh, what, what, what's happening underneath that um, we may mistake for attraction. Right. Yeah. I mean, when you say that you have addiction in your blood, you know, I also, I like to just use the term um, compulsive behavior, right? Yeah. Like it doesn't have to mean, you know, I always talk about how addiction is a very broad word, right? You can be an addict in the normal sense, obviously drugs, alcohol, but you can also be a codependent, which is an addict, that's a behavioral addiction, right? Or you can be addicted to video games or social media. You know, those aren't substances, but they're definitely addictions. Um, And I think that when I left my last relationship with somebody who was a functioning alcoholic, and I swore to myself, I'd never do that again. And then I met you and I said, oh my God, he doesn't drink. This is amazing. I've I've solved it. I've cured my codependency. And then I realized, obviously, getting into the relationship with you that you actually are a very compulsive person. And so I said, oh, there it is, right? It still shows up. I don't think we ever get away from it. We just make healthier choices along that journey. Are you saying you want a refund? Is that where we're getting at? Uh, maybe a partial refund. A partial refund? <laughs> I get to keep the product, but I also get some of the money back. I'm also Korean, so there are no refunds. Um, <laughs> so let me ask you this, um, because, you know, I also feel like uh, everyone has kind of their own definition of codependency. So for me, I thought codependency, because I've struggled with it as well, um, meant that uh, I'm dependent on someone. Um, I, I feel like you and I... Uh, have struggled with codependency, but from the opposite side. So Mm -hmm. I've been codependent with women in my life where I uh, define that codependency, that sticky as, um, as love. And, you know, if I go down, you go down with me, Mm -hmm. you know, we're not two people, we're we're one person. And that's what makes it so romantic and, you know, makes our love so special. Um, Losing yourself in someone else, all of that. You see codependent a little bit different in that uh, it's more about, uh, is it rescue or making sure the other person is okay? Yeah, rescuing is one. Uh, that's one of many uh, different symptoms, if you will, of codependency. Um, but it's definitely only one. So uh, I think you're right. I think it shows. I don't think we see it differently. I think what I what I like to talk about is that let's say there's a laundry list of like 20 symptoms of codependency that I, I usually cover in my classes. Um, 
you might struggle with numbers one through three on the list and I might struggle with numbers seven through nine. Um, and in the relationship with me, you might struggle with one through seven, but in the relationship with say a friend or your parent, you might struggle with six, seven, and eight, right? So um, it doesn't look the same for everybody across the board. And you might only struggle with one of them or you might struggle with all of them and they fluctuate based on the person that's standing across from you that's triggering the response. So it's not as simple as just saying, you know, this is how it, it looks for me. It's um, a little bit more complex than that. Yeah. And so what do you think it does when you are, and I said, of course, there's a spectrum of um, how codependent you are, but uh, if you are very codependent, what's the, what are the consequences of that? What happens? Well, I would like to say the number one biggest consequence is living a life that is severely inauthentic um, and also one that is filled with bitterness and resentment. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of codependents, myself included, when we're first told um, that, you know, you're controlling, manipulative, and resentful, it's a kind of a blow to the gut. Uh, I like to tell people, if you're ready to do the work around your codependency, you have to get ready to hear some stuff about yourself you don't want to hear. You got to get a thick skin because um, it's hard to hear that, you know, about yourself. And it's not to say that, I mean, the vast majority of codependents I know are lovely people. I mean, we also make up the majority of the caretaking careers out there, therapists, nurses, teachers, um, but we do it with a kind of a lining of resentment. And so we walk around all the time, just upset and angry at everyone around us for not being able to fill this void, not realizing that we're causing the void by relying on other people to fill it, to, to fill it right? Can't talk. <laughs> what happens if most of your life you've been codependent and you lay these tracks where, um, you know, you're losing yourself by helping other people, you rescue, uh, all of that stuff, put, it, put your needs aside to um, fulfill other people's needs. And so because of that, your uh, program or your pattern is being resentful. Then when you find someone who is not codependent or you put yourself in an experience where there's no codependency or at least a lot less, um, is there resentment residue? Meaning, do you know, I wonder if you're, you've trained yourself or not just you, but anyone who's codependent and, and has a habit of being resentful, then do you... Um, look for things to be resentful, even if they're not there because you're so used to it. Maybe. I mean, I, I would say that it takes a lot of work to even get into a relationship where there isn't that dynamic first and foremost, because codependents typically need to be needed and feeling needed is to them. It equates with feeling loved, right? So if they don't feel that, if they, if they find someone who's healthy enough to not need them, right. To do things for them, take care of them, uh, emotionally, physically, all the things. Um, then for most of us in the beginning, at least of our work, that doesn't feel like love. And so we usually don't pursue it. Yeah. So if you've gotten yourself into a situation where finally it's healthy and this person is secure in themselves and their emotional state and doesn't base theirs on yours and doesn't need anything from you other than just your love. Um, sure. You might look for, um, sticky where there is none. Right. And I don't think it just shows up as resentment. I think that it shows up as, um, a lot of other emotions, anxiety, uh, you know, feeling like you don't know yourself, um, feeling like you've lost, completely lost yourself. Most of us don't even know who we really are because we've never actually strengthened that inner voice at all. Our voice has been so everybody else. Um, we're so tuned in everybody else's voice. We don't actually know what ours is saying. So I always like to say codependents usually are addicted to drama. We're addicted to something that's going to make it feel like love and chemistry because that's what we're used to. Yeah. So um, I'm going to say a statement Sit with it for a second. Let me know how it feels. You ready? Mm -hmm. I don't need you. What comes up when you hear that? You know, it's funny. You and I have actually never done that before. That strange exercise. <laughs> Real time. Oh. You guys are hearing it. Um, I didn't know that was an exercise. I just, I'm, I'm, I just thought of it. Well, it's, it's your truth, but it's also, I guess it was an exercise in the moment because I actually felt, even though I know we're doing this recording, I, I felt like a, a pang of sadness. Mm, yeah. It actually hit me pretty low in the gut. Um, and it felt really sad to hear you say that. Does it feel like rejection? 
a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, I, and I wonder how much of that is normal, because if you said that to me, mm-hmm. um, I don't I mean, I, I believe that I'm not, you know, codependent. Uh, uh, maybe I have some tendency still, but um, I don't think I'm codependent to the to the point where I have a problem or that, you know, I get myself in unhealthy relationships. And yet, if you said to me, I don't need you. Yeah, there's like this um, tendency to grab or or run. You know, and I don't know if that's codependency or ego, but it's like, oh, okay, well then bye. So that that's one way. Or it's like, of course you need me. And let me prove to you why you need me. Right. And instead of accepting that statement, not tying that to my worth um, and, and, and actually agreeing with it. Yeah, yeah, you don't, you don't need me. Uh, you can choose to be with me, but you don't need me. Well, I think there's two things at play in what you're saying. So the first is um, this, you don't need me. And then what that brings up for me is really what triggers enabling behavior in codependence, right? So for most codependents, we will enable the other person. And we're not just talking about romantic relationships, obviously. We're talking about friendships, parental relationships, family, mm-hmm. working relationships. It shows up everywhere. We will find ourselves enabling. And enabling doesn't have to just look like, you know, lying about the booze drinking. Enabling can look like allowing somebody to be lazy, over-functioning so they can underfunction. Um, you know, enabling shows up a lot of ways. So most of us don't realize that we enable in order to keep that person dependent on us so that we are needed. Right. And we do that very unconsciously, but the other part of of what you were saying, you know, is also a huge fear and concern with many codependents, which is this feeling of um, not being needed, which we've talked about, but feeling needy. Mm. Right. So that's this huge fear that we have, which is I, if if I tell you what my needs, my wants, my desires are, what I need from you in this relationship, you're going to think that I'm needy and then you're going to leave. Does it all come down to um, the fear of someone leaving or the fear of someone taking love away from you? Abandonment is a huge, huge thing for codependence. Yeah, fear of abandonment. Isn't there a part of you when I said, I don't need you, um, that felt freedom? Isn't there a part of you that felt like, oh, well, this is one person that doesn't need me. So I, I don't have to take care of this person like I'm used to. In the moment, no. Right. If I sat with it and thought about it logically, maybe I could come to that conclusion after all the work I've done. But in that moment, it still feels like it did probably when I was 25. Yeah. And that's interesting. And also, you know, this isn't something that you um, do every day. Mm-hmm. So um, and also because, you know, we're, we're, we're doing this kind of uh, with, uh, you know, not scripted. You probably also didn't see it coming, which, which is what makes it real. And um, hearing that from me. um I think is, was kind of like, oh, I haven't, uh, you haven't said that to me before. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, you know, there's a constant dialogue for me and our day-to-day relationship because of my understanding of my own codependency and my patterns, which is when I find myself getting into the over-functioning, um, doing everything, caretaking role, which I slip into very easily and, and frequently if I don't keep it in check, I try to remind myself, he's a grown-ass man. <laughs> He's lived this long without you. He doesn't actually need you to survive, right? Like if you didn't do the thing that you're itching to do right now, he would still be fine, right? Right. So I think it's an important mantra to tell ourselves to check in the moment, check us when we're about to do something or say something, whatever that enabling thing is to say, why am I doing this? What's the motivation behind this? Um, And can this person survive if I don't do this thing for them? Mostly the answer is going to be yes. Yeah, and I think there's a... a, a so if, if, if you use that sentence, I don't need you as kind of like a measuring stick, right? And so if you were in your 20s and you were very codependent and I said to you, um, I don't need you, there might be a reaction, meaning like, well, I don't need you either. 
um, there, there might be something where you're not able to sit with it, but you're either going to either uh, de- detach and run, you know, give me the finger or um, go the other way uh, and convince yourself you need to prove um, to me or convince me that I do need you. Right. So it might be one or the other. But uh, if you have worked on yourself, if you have, you know, processed a lot of your story and triggers and stuff, then I think you can get to a place where when someone says that, and of course, initially there probably will be a sting as it would be for me too. Um, But I think the measure of growth is if you're actually able to sit with it without reacting, let it pass. And then there's a tipping point where you get to a place where you're like, Oh, this is actually freeing. Wait a minute. He doesn't need me. Um, That's empowering. That's refreshing. That's maybe the new definition of love. And this is interesting. And then, so there, there's almost, uh, it goes from triggering to, oh, wow, this is new and different. And I wonder what's on the other side of this. If you're ready to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're ready to hear it, I think too, you know, look, as human beings, we are meant to be interdependent on other people, right? Like there's a difference between dependence, codependence, all these different words that we use, but we are supposed to be in relationship to others. Um, you know, we are not meant to like to use your terms. We're not meant to do this life alone. Right. So, uh, it's okay to need someone. Um, it's when it starts, I always say it's about, it's about finding the middle ground. It's about finding the gray. So codependency, a lot of the struggles is very black and white thinking. It's very all or nothing. And a lot of the work that we have to do is find out what that middle gray, middle gray area feels like, looks like, tastes like, smells like, right? So for me in a relationship, it's okay to need that person um, to a certain extent, right? But when does it cross the line into unhealthy? When does it cross the line into codependence? That's the work that a lot of us have to do. And that's going to look different, I think, for all of us. Yeah. One of my love lessons with you, um, and and I'm talking about this because it's actually in my book, um, is because we are working on ourselves and, you know, we have our own uh, issues and all of that, but because we're working on ourselves, because we've been through some shit, because we have struggled with things like codependency and enmeshment and all of that, um, going into this relationship with you, uh, cause I, I feel like that you're fairly a healthy person and this container, um, is healthy. Uh, it feels kind of strange because it is healthy. Do you know what I'm saying? It feels strange. It it feels strange because you don't need me. It feels strange because uh, us being with each other is a choice. And also there's contrast and we speak different love languages, all of that. And so uh, that's all a new experience for me. And, you know, whenever you um, experience something new, first, there's like the initial trigger what's going on, maybe panic, your body's not familiar with this. And then it's like, uh, it's like jumping in the cold water, right? And then once you're able to um, calm down, sit in it and actually swim, you might actually realize, oh, this is a new experience. Now it's giving me new definitions and it's going to, it's going to rewire me. It's going to change. Um, it's going to, it's going to change my, my biology almost, you know, when it comes to, to love. Yeah. And it does change you and there's always going to be a residual, right? So I always say this on teaching class, like there are plenty of times where you and I will have like the smallest thing like a tiff or our disagreement or whatever, or you'll come to me with some problem or issue. And my immediate go-to is still very much like, well, fuck it. It's over. It's not going to work. All right. I'm out. See ya. I don't want to deal with this. This is too much. I mean, immediately that's my go-to. And I, it's not that by doing the work that goes away or that changes. It's just that now, rather than feeling it and acting on it, almost woven together in the same moment, I feel that I, I hear that in my mind, I experience that in my body and I'm able to take a breath, breathe into it, do what you and I just did a little while ago, which is to go, oh, I actually feel sadness. Like that's what that is in my chest, right? 
and, and put words to the internal experience and breathe into this comfort and say, you're here to hold me accountable. I'm here to hold you accountable. That's part of the work that you and I signed up to do when we decided to do this together. Um, I don't get to just cut and run anymore. Well, also, I, I, uh, when I feel that you're going to, that's coming, I hide the car keys. <laughs> so this is the anxious, anxious avoidant dance that we're talking about now. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. So what it, what it almost, what you're talking about is that there's me, there's you, there's this thing we're building and this thing that we're building almost becomes greater than each other where, uh, things like running or old patterns are prevented because of this greater container. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good way to put it. Yeah. That's really interesting. And this is why I, I tell people, um, this is where the whole thing swim past the breakers comes from. And it's not something that I've been talking about, you know, uh, since I became a licensed therapist. Um, it's something I've been talking about recently, you know, it parallels my story and my revelations. Um, and also I think with love, you know, it, it, and this is more looking at through a spiritual lens. It's not like, I don't feel like I've learned, you know, everything about love. Um, I think until we die, we're going to constantly mm-hmm. have revelations about love. And as we change, you know, um, our, our lenses change, what we want changes, what we put weight on changes. And so it's not like, you know, we, we, we've reached the island. It's yeah. just, it's just new and different and evolving. Yeah. And as you were saying that, I was thinking, I hope so. Right. Like here's hoping that we continue to evolve and continue yeah. to grow and change. And not everybody feels that way, you know? And I, I do think that one of the struggles with codependency is also realizing that for many of us, we're drawn to people who need us to take care of them, but don't actually want to grow. They don't actually want to change and evolve. Um, and part of it is realizing that, not blaming them for that, um, and letting them be, right? Loving them from afar, not allowing yourself to get lost in the desire for them to be somebody different. Um, or, you know, if only if only they loved me more, they would stop doing X. Or if only I was worth more, they would stop doing Y. Um, and one realize, of, yeah, go ahead. One of the hardest things for me with codependency is, um, so healthy love can be boring, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, codependency to me is like that sticky is romantic and sexy. Mm-hmm. Uh, losing yourself in someone else is is what I thought true love was about, you know? Um, in, in In high school, when you... Uh, lose yourself in someone else and you're ditching classes and nothing else matters and you want to be with the, the uh, your, your, your person um, every minute of the day, that seems romantic, you know? Well, that's uh, all we see. <laughs> that's all our society shows us is love, right? And I always say that in the Disney movies, you the movie always ends at the marriage. You never mm-hmm. see what the actual life looks like, right? Like yeah. Cinderella thought that Prince Charming was her man after dancing with him for one hour on the dance floor. Yeah, He didn't know anything about him. He didn't even know what she looked like. He only had a shoe to find her, right? And somehow that's true love. But you don't see what they look like 10 years into marriage. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And um, one of the things that that scares me about evolution is it's, it's almost like you got to get to a place where you're letting go of the love. It's almost like you have to build it, build it as best as you can. And then you almost, you have to let go of it. Cause if you hold on, hold on to it, um, there's a chance that it, that you'll snap back or that you're, you're grabbing instead of holding and letting go of love and allowing the love to, um, take its own form is terrifying, is terrifying because there's also a chance that you could lose it. Sure. There's also a chance that you could use it, lose it. If you hold on to it so tightly because you're lost in it as well, because you and I have both experienced those kinds of loves and we're not in those relationships anymore. Well, there's a greater chance you could lose it if you hold on to it too tightly because um, one party will outgrow it or it, it feel claustrophobic and it won't match their um, their growth. 
Right. And, and also putting some sort of definition of what it should look like, should feel like what this person should look like, act like, show up like, um, that feels suffocating to me. Right. Because then you're not, you're not actually living in the relationship that you're in, in that present moment. You're living in a fantasy world. You're not actually there with your feet on the ground, enjoying the real life connection on this earth plane right now. You're living somewhere else. That's not reality, you know? And also, you know, I'm not going to speak for Vanessa, but for me, um, I wasn't modeled healthy love. So uh, my parents were old school Korean, you know, and also um, um, being Asian, there's that whole like um, um, submissive uh, women tend to be more culturally submissive. Um, uh, uh, Dad, mom, always working. They showed uh, um, very little or no physical affection. So there wasn't a lot of like kissing, holding hands. And I mean, ultimately, you know, growing old and them sleeping in separate separate bedrooms. And so I, I wasn't um, modeled. I wasn't able to see other than, you know, movies, um, what a healthy relationship even even looked like. And, 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 and you, Vanessa, you grew up um, pretty much uh, with just a mom, no? Yeah, I mean, I grew up with a single mom who, you know, dated and was married for a while to my stepdad. And really what I would say I took away from my upbringing as far as love was you don't need a man. Right. Right. That was kind of the, that was kind of the mantra that I was, I was told over and over again, whether it was verbally or non-verbally, you don't need anybody. You can do this on your own. Um, you know, fuck them. We're strong enough without them. Uh, we don't need anybody, not just yeah. don't need a man. You don't need anybody. And so that was really how I grew up. And, and while I'm grateful in a lot of ways for some of the things I got out of that messaging, because, you know, especially as a woman, like I, I'm very self-sufficient and I was very successful in my career and I'm, I know that I can handle my shit. <laughs> um, it also kind of builds walls, right? And, and can kind of put you on an island. So there's always the negative side to that as well. It's amazing um, what, and I call them false beliefs. Uh, people call them limited beliefs, whatever you want to call them. Uh, but we have these beliefs that are formed from our story that live in our subconscious. And so, um, and we have many of them. So if one of your beliefs is that you don't need a man, uh, then the behavior, even if it's subtle, a lot of it uh, is coming from that core belief. And so until you realize what your false belief is and start to dissolve those false beliefs, usually the, the patterns are going to be the same. Yeah. And the patterns also, you know, remember that a lot of times these false beliefs, they, they hide something much deeper, right? So my exterior uh, wall, I don't need anybody. I can be by myself. I can take care of myself. I don't need you. Um, really underneath that, and this is kind of discovered through a lot of therapy and a lot of digging, right? But underneath that, it's actually hiding this deep, deep desire for real, true connection um, and to be needed by somebody and be and be able to need somebody, Um that I almost never felt safe enough to admit out loud, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I protected that real need behind the facade of, fuck them, I don't need anybody, you know? What do you think um, my false belief is, or one of them, when it comes to love and relationships? I think that one of your false beliefs is that love should actually always look like the Cinderella at the ball. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and maybe because... Yeah. Um, my early experiences uh, had so much codependency, maybe because, or maybe because uh, I didn't see it with my parents. I told myself that when I grow up and and, and start to love someone, it's going to be so romantic and I'm going to write her name in the sky and we're going to hold hands every day and make love every minute and all that, you know? Well, and I think it's important for people to understand that not just with you, but with everybody, it's very normal and very common for whatever we grow up seeing. um, If in some way it feels not good to us growing up, like dysfunctional or just doesn't feel right. A lot of us will go the other way. We will push against it so hard that we'll end up in the other extreme. 
which is also not healthy. So again, this goes back to finding the gray, finding the middle ground. And it's not to say gray like boring, but it's to say gray like healthy, balanced, right? Um, That's very normal for us. It's not just necessarily how you see love. It can be behavior. It can be communication styles. Um, We see this happen all the time in the therapy room where somebody will come in and they've they've swung themselves so far over to the other extreme that now they're in the unhealthy other. Yeah. So you teach, um, and by the way, can I, can I just say with codependency, like, like anything, you know, it's not something that you, uh, over the weekend or once you feel like you're not that codependent, that, that, that journey's over, you know, Um, like addiction being the, uh, you know, the devil's face on your shoulder forever. It's right there. Uh, I worked with a lot of eating disorder clients and, uh, just because you recover from that behavior doesn't mean that when you go through turbulence or anxiety that you're not going to snap back. So uh, if you are codependent or you str- struggled with it, uh, it there, there's no cure for it. You're not um, safe from it forever because you went to a workshop or, yeah. you know, it's something you have to kind of pedal. Uh, it's like a pe- pedaling a bike. When you stop pedaling it, uh, your bike's going to slow down or, or you may You're crash. Fall off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, you know, codependency, um, addiction, eating disorders, I mean, they're all very much serving the same purpose, right? Which is to soothe anxiety. It is to hide. It is to numb. Um, and, and what are those anxieties that we're trying to hide from, soothe or numb? It's the anxieties of being human. It's the anxieties of attachment um, to other people uh, or lack thereof. And so any one of those, it's less about how do I get rid of these behaviors? And it's more about how do I learn to sit with my human anxiety and be with it and not need to reach outside of myself too soon, too numb, too fix, right? Um, and that is really what it's, what the growth is all about because you've just picked up certain techniques or skills along the way to help soothe that anxiety internally. That's all. That's all this is, right? Um, it's something to be ashamed of. These are these are coping mechanisms. These are survival techniques, you know, that you've learned. And they've gotten, I always say they've gotten you this far, right? Like you're here, you've survived. So congratulations. Uh, now you've outgrown them and it's time to adjust and, and grow more into your self, right? Into your true self. So that's really what that is. Yeah. So you teach a series of codependent classes uh, in the lab. Tell us about some of them. Yeah. So I, I teach first and foremost, I teach a one-on-one class. So it kind of sets the stage. It's like the 30,000 foot view. We go over, like I say, that laundry list of different behaviors, um, you know, kind of the background of codependency, a little bit of the research. Uh, and so that one I, I do teach, I try to rotate that at least once a month. So people who are new or weren't able to take it can jump into that. And then I, I rotate a bunch of classes and honestly, I'm always adding more. So the, the, the thing about codependency, like it or hate it, is that at least for me, being the, the research nerd that I am, there's always more topics to uh, get into and create conversation and dialogue around. So right now, um, some of the ones that we rotate are, there's a class around addiction specifically, so the relationship between addiction and codependency. There's one around black and white thinking, around boundaries, um, around how upbringing can help develop codependent behaviors, um, around perfectionism, around self-worth. So we get into a ton of different topics and, and they're always rotating. So if you miss one, you can always pick it up again in like a month when it comes back around. Well, thank you for sharing your story and uh, thank you for helping so many with uh, codependency. And also, I feel like uh, what you're doing with codependency is you're uh, redefining it. You know, Um, a lot of people uh, see codependency as just a very black and white and you're, uh, you know, turning rocks over and having conversations about the gray and it's not black and white. And so I think just by doing that alone, uh, you're redefining what what codependency is. And and, and I believe everyone, to a certain extent, um, has struggled with some form of codependency growing up. Yeah. Yeah, I totally do as well. And I think that's what's the important um, change in conversation around codependency needs to be. And what I'm trying to trying to do right in my small corner of the world is make people understand that there's a lot more nuance to this, right? Human beings are nuanced, um, even though it doesn't make sense to us and it's not as comfortable if we can't put it in a box. Uh, and 
we have to be able to look at this very nuanced stuff and say, oh, okay, I see how it affects me here, but not here. And with this person and not that person, um, because there's not a one size fits all. Vanessa, although I don't need you, I choose you. How's that sound? Uh, that actually sounds a lot better, honestly. Okay, good. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's end it with that. So I get some love later, hopefully. <laughs> Guys, if you are uh, new to this platform, you should uh, jump into her classes. What's kind of cool about this whole process is you could uh, listen to us and then meet us uh, live in the classes. Uh, if you are already in the classes, well, you got to get to know um, a little bit more about your instructor's story and who she is and why she's passionate about her topic. Thanks, Vanessa. Thanks, John. Yeah, I'll see you in a few seconds. <laughs> listen, if you are great at helping other people and you have a passion for that and you want to find personal freedom and level up the skills you already have, it's time to become a life coach. Journey coaching. When I became a coach, there was nothing like this out there. And so I developed this coaching training program alongside Noel Cordeaux. Journey coaching. That's J-R-N-I. And it is amazing. It's 100% live. It's everything that I wish I had when I was starting out. Meaningful, evidence-based education, real people, real community, lifetime support, and business development. ICF certified. Just go to theangrytherapist.com, my website, and click on Become a Coach and explore the Journey Coaching Intensive. See you in class.